Leadership has a much greater spectrum than just coming to work, getting your numbers done, and running a club to specifications of your owners or of your board of directors. From Tallahassee to the Keys and everywhere in between, this is Education Elevated on the FLCMAA Podcast Network. I'm really thanking you for inviting me. And as Beth just mentioned, I am back. I used to live in Singapore for the past five years, so I jetted around the globe in the Southeast Asia. Uh, but never left my connection with the CMAA and I still today work with countless of clubs, uh, go to their locations and work with staff and leadership to develop a product and to develop a culture that is not only uh, uh, essential but also sustainable. And I think our culture is all driven by people and recognizing the importance of people makes me laugh. Have you ever met people when you say, good morning, how are you? And they look at you all angry and disheveled and they say, I'm hanging in there. Ever met them? Right? So within that, and, and, and you know, they said, they tell you, I'm tired. Well, of course we are tired. You know, I, I mean, I traveled the world last year, 256 days on the road. Of course we are tired, but I don't tell you that. When people say, Andy, how are you? I generally say, you know what? I am awesome. In fact, if you look for awesomeness, you found it. Well, maybe not that extreme, but you get my drift, right? So, so recognizing the energy that we put out and what, what is required for us to develop a product that is memorable, and that's how we build businesses. And that's not just, it cannot just be found in service because to me, service is not a job, it's a lifestyle. It's how you choose to be. And service begins with my family at home. Right? I, I mean, it comes to my family. I have a beautiful wife. She's from Spain, from Barcelona. And, uh, you know, beautiful sun-kissed skin, long black hair, just beautiful on the inside as she's on the outside. And then I'm white as a marshmallow. I'm German-Swiss. And then you throw my daughter into the mix, who is Chinese. We adopted her when she was a little baby. So now, especially in Singapore, we confuse the hell out of people. You know, people look at me, they look at my wife, they look at my daughter, then they look at me and again, like, like, like what happened, right? <laughs> and when people stare too much, I usually say, look, if you blend Spanish and German, you get Chinese. What can I tell you? <laughs> but it is my right to reserve to come home and to celebrate my family. And, and the energy that we are distributing to other people, that makes us memorable. That makes us stand out. You know, so many people I meet when I life coach and when I business coach, and I, I, I speak in front of five, 6,000 people all the way down to one-on-one -on -one coaching. And so many people have I met, they truly believe that a job can make you successful. And I'm here to, to, to kind of warn you on that because that is not necessarily true. If you need a job, if you need a business card to be somebody, well, maybe, maybe there's something else missing. Recognizing who we are and how we wake up as a person, that really defines us on how we stand out and, and not become invisible. Right? You should almost be in the elevators with me. You will never be the same. Have you ever been in the elevators with people? I mean, nobody talks, right? It's like, it's like no, shh, right? And, 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 and everybody looks out at their phone or they look at their digital announcement like that 10, 9, 8, like something magic is about to happen, right? And then Andy walks in. Oh, you should try that. It's unbelievable. Like in New York, you know, or in Chicago, in these big cities, I walk in and say, good morning, New York. How are you? <laughs> and then people step back <laughs> because they think crazy has arrived. <laughs> So within that, I want to walk you through a program. I only have uh, two hours. Normally these programs are generally three days long. But I, I, I selected some content that, that really uh, penetrates into the essence of, of, of leadership. What leadership really is, not necessarily from our perspective, but what, what, what is required of us to recognize what is, what is the expectation of our staff 
and how we become these leaders and what leadership really stands for. Because I think many people think they are a manager, that means they are a leader, and that is far removed. That is not true. And therefore, there is a significant difference between telling somebody what to do and education. And I think the future in our industry lays all in education, especially with a new generation that's about to, uh, to come our way. They're called strawberries. And we're doing a lot of research with Q Principal on, on, on the behavioral patterns of people. That's what life coaches do, right? We are, we're helping people to find their traction and, and become better in what they do. So the new generation that's coming up now, they're called strawberries. I don't know why they call them this way, but uh, that seems to be the name that sticks the most. And they're between seven and 12 years, 13 years old right now. And uh, let, me, give me, let me give you a little synopsis what's coming. Working eight hours a day? Uh, yeah, no. No, 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 that's, that's slavery. Are you kidding me? Eight hours, that's way too long. Six, maybe, if you're nice to me and if you pay me double. And then, oh, oh you better never tell me what I'm doing wrong because my, my parents never told me what I'm doing wrong, so who are you to tell me that I'm not good enough? Are you kidding me? And because I'm so good, you better pat me on the shoulder every five seconds and promote me every week because I'm awesome. Now, they're coming to you by the millions, ladies and gentlemen, so... Uh, just giving you a little heads up. Within that, we need leadership. We need strong leadership foundation. And for me, service is a function of leadership. And with that, we are really turning into this business of being educators and recognizing so many people have lost their social skills, people. I mean, the young, young kids, I mean, I travel so much and I'm staying in, in luxury hotels. I'm working with luxury clubs and I walk by five employees and nobody says hello to me. Well, what happened to our industry? Has the bar dropped so low? So within that, we have to step back up. And by the way, there is a, there's a cute story about the difference between telling somebody something to do or educating them what you want them to do. Picture this. At a local high school somewhere, these girls, they figured out, you know, like they're 14 years old, they go in their bathroom breaks, they go to the bathroom, put lipsticks on, and kiss the bathroom mirror. And decorate the mirror with their lips, right? Now, this was fun. More girls joined in and eventually all the girls brought lipstick to school and they went into the bathroom and kissing these mirrors. And you can imagine the school had a problem with that. So the memos came out. Ladies, please stop kissing these mirrors, right? Now, if you tell people, you know, they, they ignore generally. So the teachers got involved and they talked about before each break, ladies, please do not kiss these mirrors. Now it became a challenge. So nothing changed. So one afternoon, the principal of the school had an idea. He called all the ladies in the bathroom and he said, girls, thank you so much for your, for your artwork. I mean, you know, your lips and in different colors and purple and green and I mean, beautiful. But these mirrors are difficult to clean. So in order to show you, we invited our maintenance person on how he's doing that. So sir, would you please help us to understand how you clean these mirrors? So he takes a squeegee, he dunks in the toilet bowl and he squeegees the mirrors. That's the last time any girl has ever kissed a mirror again. The difference between telling somebody something to do or really building a form of education uh, certainly is essential. So recognizing uh, that the essence of leadership, we have to stay away from the words always and never. It is impossible to be something always or never, and that begins with smiling. You can't always smile. It's impossible. And that's why you know, we're telling our employees always to smile. That is unnatural and unusual. And if you hang out with people who always smile, be careful. They smoke something they shouldn't. The, the same goes with frustration management. You know, I mean, you can't always be in control of your frustration. We talked a little bit about that today. Uh, in fact, you know, I'm German, I'm Leo, and I have ADD. Are you kidding me? I <laughs> invented frustration. 
And back then, when I was younger, I drove an Audi TT sports car, one of these rocket ships, you know, and if you cut me off in traffic, I came after you. And if you flip me off, you die. Today, I blow you a kiss. So, so the essence of what we are is more often than not, ladies and gentlemen. So how do you generally wake up in the morning? Let's put you to the test. Are you waking up by saying, oh my God, this is gonna be an awesome day. I can't wait to go to the club. I'm gonna have so much fun. I high five people. I'm gonna give people compliments. I'm, I'm gonna give a dishwasher a Gatorade and say thank you for who you are. I'm just gonna have a really fun, fun day today. Or do we generally wake up by saying, God, shoot me now. I have to go to work. <laughs> now, don't feel challenged here, but isn't that sometimes who we are? That we are not enjoying the moment. Who here has woken up the last time by saying, God, I love my life? That's what a life coach does, ladies and gentlemen. I'm helping people to understand the quality of people that's sitting in front of me. And this is not just geared towards you, because I think leadership is reserved to science. It's reserved for our actions the way we are, and that's not just reserved for a title. I think your employees are leading just as much as you because they lead their household, they lead their children, they lead their finances. So I think we have to, we have to shift to a broader overview what leadership really is and it starts with us and, and also it starts with how you come home, ladies and gentlemen. I know you're busy. I've been an assistant hotel general manager. Uh, I, I've been an executive director in, in major massive resorts and I know that you work 14, 15 hours a day and you still sometimes go home and you feel like you haven't accomplished enough. And that gives you that void. So this is not about you qualifying yourself today that you work hard, but that's not necessarily what matters. It's the, it's the responsibility we have as a human being when you come home to celebrate what matters the most, and that is your family. And I can talk of that by sharing a personal story with you. Me and my wife, we lost our first baby. And when that happens to you, you'll find out very quickly how valuable family really is. You know, are you telling your family that you love them? Leadership is not just that you're throwing words out, ladies and gentlemen. We talk about some really fun communication activities today. I suggest you start telling your family why you love them. Much more powerful. So when I come home, I'm more often than not celebrate my family. And yet I'm working with people. They're generally telling me, said, I come home, I'm exhausted, I'm tired, I don't want to talk to anybody. And now with that, we're pushing our family away. Leadership has a much greater spectrum than just coming to work, getting your numbers done, and running a club to specifications of your owners or of your board of directors. There's a much wider range to what leadership really stands for, in essence, on, and, and that begins really with understanding the concept of leadership. Uh, a friend of mine said this to me years ago. He said, Andy, who was your leader and why? And I'm kind of asking you that same question now. If you think back, because think about it, you were born highly intelligent, otherwise you wouldn't sit in this room. And, 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 and then you're educated. You have, you have experienced a great sense of education uh, in your field, maybe in school. Many of you have college degrees out here. That means you've been highly trained to be very qualified in what you do. But who was your mentor? Who set you up to be that person? Because you can't win alone. That's impossible, right? Although that we are born very smart, you need people in your life. So my question to you, and I'm gonna come a little closer to you. My question to you is, who was your leader? And more importantly, why? Luann, who was your leader? Well, initially my grandmother. There you go. I, I, was I was absolutely expecting that because your grandmother didn't have a business card that she is your leader, right? So why was your grandmother your leader? There you go. She set you up with values and principles, isn't that? Isn't that the truth? 
Our leaders, ladies and gentlemen, let me, let me kind of define that a little bit. Our leaders out there, they made it their responsibility to develop us far beyond just to do a job, right? They tried, they were interested in us as people, not necessarily as employees or as, as workers. And, and, and here's what I'm seeing, and I, I, please forgive me, but I don't say this lightly. I have so, many, so much access to so many staff, hotels, country clubs, we work with healthcare, we work with airlines, we work with finance institutions like Deloitte and American Express. These are our clients. So when we are speaking to staff and say, what's missing out there? There's something that I, that, the, the service is not there, the passion, the, the, the dynamics is not there. What's missing? What is your relationship between you and your manager? And they start laughing at me. They say, what do you mean relationship? There, there is no relationship. My manager generally tells me what they want me to do, and then my manager tells me when I screw up. That is about the extent of my relationship with my management team. And ladies and gentlemen, that's a disaster. We gotta shift that back. We gotta create these moments in time and learning what our staff really expects of us to accept us as that leader. You know, think about it. when you were younger and you had uh, your parents, your grandparents, I'm sure they were very hard on you. You see, leaders are very hard people, but they coach and guide and mentor through purpose and through development, not just telling people what to do. So, so I think personally, I think that the relationship between management and, and employees in this country is broken. And we have to do something called healing. And if you don't believe me, if you think that's a little harsh, ask any of your staff members to come to see you in the office. What's generally their first response? Uh-oh. Right, because your office is the torture chamber. That's where dead bodies are buried. That's the bad place to be, right? So, so we have to start bringing the importance and the sense of ability back of our people because here's what I've learned. Our staff can give us so much more. It is not a question of intelligence, ladies and gentlemen. It's a question of willpower. When your staff wakes up in the morning by saying, God, shoot me now, I have to go to work, you're already, you're already setting yourself up to deliver at best an average product, right? So understanding what our team needs of us and, and spending that time, there's this, um, this uh, beautiful story about this young boy. He is eight years old and he's walking up to his father and he says, hey dad, can you give me 20 bucks? And the, the father said, no, you're eight years old. What are you talking about, $20, right? So every day his son walked up to his father and said, dad, please, can you give me $20? And the father said, no. So eventually he broke down and handed him a $20 bill. He said, but son, what do you need that money for? And the son said, look dad, I heard you and mom talk that you got promoted, you now make $20 an hour. This money is for you, for an hour of your time. We have to bring these moments back that create impact, ladies and gentlemen, and I think we're all capable of it. And the new generation that's coming in now, they wanna be invested in. This is not for us to just to tell them what to do and what not to do, but the investment on sitting down and making time for them and recognizing that what service really is. Service is a product that is created by one moment in time. And, and the ability to think creative, if, if I could give you a synopsis here, what we have learned, because leadership is a function of service. If we are not delivering the right pattern of service as a leader, that means service will not take place. Makes sense, right? So when we study organizational charts and how people upload the belief system of staff, and that creates that bigger product that gives you that competitive edge, that's that changing and breaking that status quo that people mandated going to work and can't wait to get out of here, and we gotta be careful because at the end of the day, ladies and gentlemen, you only have 70 summers on this planet. That's it. 
So there's got to be a why. Why is it important to wake up differently? Why is it important to come home differently? Recognizing as a life coach, you know, I coach hundreds of individuals and, 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 and most of these individuals, they complain about their boss, their house, their car, their money. Their... These are self-inflicted wounds that really mean nothing to me because they're easy to unstruggle. 95% of the people out there who are playing the victim card are really very intelligent and successful people. They just have forgotten to see it. So we have to shift our mind. And then 5% of the people I'm sitting with, they do have a problem. I just recently coached a young woman out of New York. She contacted me, 23 years old, and she was diagnosed with breast cancer stage four. Now she became healthy again. So would you consider that success? 100%. Often when I talk to individuals that we find success in a spreadsheet, on our flow-throughs, on our food and beverage cost, you know, on your salaries, on your, on your, on your, sure. But success comes from all different angles that we have to reintroduce and re-celebrate. For example, Jenna, that young woman who is now healthy again, she fought for one year for her life and now she has a clean bill of health again. I consider that tremendous success, right? I can show you a young, a young mother. She has, two full, she has two kids and works two full-time jobs to keep her children safe, but still finds time on the weekend to feed the homeless. Is that success? Well, I think so. I can show you a family to raise their children to become responsible teenagers to say no to sex and drugs. Is that, is that success? Sure. But then also money is success. We shouldn't overlook the term money because you know, I've never met a really happy person before who can't pay, it, pay the bills. So we shouldn't overlook this, but be careful. What the great Zig Ziglar once said, money can buy you a house, but it cannot buy you a home. Money can buy you a watch, but it can't buy you time. Money can buy you pills, but it can't buy you health. And recognizing our 70 summers, ladies and gentlemen, for me, success is measured in time. And I don't think that many of us, are we enjoying our time? Who woke up here the last time by saying, I love my life? And not just measuring by what we don't have, but enjoying what we do have. And that changes the perspective on how you regulate your mindset and how you are at peace with when you wake up. And out of a sudden, you're changing your entire perspective. Wayne Dyer, who is, who is my personal coach, so to speak, I'm not sure if you've ever heard of him, but Wayne Dyer is absolute, unfortunately, we lost him a few years ago. But he once said to us, he said, look, change the way you look at things and the things you look at change. It's a very powerful phrase. So when we wake up and the energy that we upload is now being excessive to everybody that comes in contact with you, and if you walk around defeated, so will everybody who works with you who is gonna be with you, and that is, can be destructive. Peter Wimbro, who was a, a famous writer in the early 1900s, he's also in my book that just came out, he says about time, he says, as you walk down the pathway of years, getting pats on your back as you pass, the only reward will be your heartache and tears if you have cheated your face in the glass. What that means, ladies and gentlemen, when we are 70 years old and you look in the mirror, uh, you can blame anybody, you can complain all you want, and you can pin your anger and misery onto anyone you like, but one thing you cannot do, you cannot escape that the reflection of that mirror is your face. I say that quote again. As you walk down the pathway of years, getting pats on your back as you pass, the only reward will be a heartache and tears if you have cheated your face in the glass. You see, for me, success is not only holding hands and singing kumbaya. It's to recognize and build strategies and, and tactics and, and, and turn them into value programs that, that really hold us accountable to what we stand for. And um, the ability for us to be in that very moment and recognizing that time is measured now. It's what we are capable of right here, right now. The way you smile at people, the way you step in elevators. 
This is no joke, guys. The way you reach out. Now, do people smile back at me? Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. I don't care because I smile for myself and for my family. That's what I smile for. I don't smile for people. I smile for people, let them know that I'm good with myself. I'm proud of myself. I'm recognizing that I have impact on other people. And if that becomes your central ability, if that becomes your purpose, ladies and gentlemen, you have just changed your life. And by that, the people around you will change with you. And that is the beginning of leadership. Because leadership has nothing to do with who you are and your titles. It has to do with how are you received by your staff, by your family, by the people around you. Because it's all about acceptance. The free will to choose what leadership really stands for. You know, you know how many senior citizens I've met throughout my last 14 years being a professional speaker? And they come up to me and said, Andy, I was married for 60 years. I married my high school sweetheart. Now she passed away. I, I wish I could bring that time back. You know, why did I always come home and was so angry and uh, distorted and... And, and I was never happy, I was never positive. I always talked about my stupid job and this and this and this. I never told my wife how beautiful she was and now she's gone. And, I, and, I, and you know, if we talk about regrets, ladies and gentlemen, you still have plenty of your 70 summers left, but please make no mistake, your job is not gonna be your salvation. Your job is important, 100%, right? But your job can't make you, it can't define you. So when we lost our little baby, you know, when people often come up to me and say, look at my new car, look at my house, it means nothing to me. Show me your personality. Show me your character. Show me who you are as an individual, as a human being. What kind of sense of kindness do you promote? What kind of strategies and tactics do you have in place to make your moment a more powerful uh, experience for other people just because you are on this, on, this, on this planet? And for me, kindness is the rent that we pay to live on this planet. So bringing some of these emotions back, because service to me is an emotion, and leadership is a calling. So speaking of one moment in time, have you ever heard of this gentleman named Henry Winkler before? Have you, Henry Winkler? The Fonz, right? He was big at the happy days, and, and he, uh, he told us this story once that was so beautiful, gave me goosebumps, and I'm sharing this with you, what one moment in time really can do. So he, uh, he was uh, in the 80s when he was still the movie star out there. He couldn't go anywhere without being overwhelmed, right? I mean, Henry Winkler was a star, still is a star in my, in my opinion. And uh, so he likes to go to the movies, but he, uh, he doesn't like to stay in line to buy his movie tickets. Can you imagine Henry Winkler buying a movie ticket? So he knows the manager and he calls him once in a while. He says, you know, hey, I want to come in, see a show. Can you let me in? So he almost has a secret entrance. He pays, but he's getting a, a private treatment there. So one afternoon, he said, I walked to the movies. I, I got in. It was already dark. The movie was about to begin. So I'm sliding in, incognito. Hopefully, nobody recognizes me. Behind him, he said, there was a mom and a six-year-old girl. As soon the girl saw me, he said, she called me out loud. She said, oh, Fonzie, and pointed at me and blew my cover. All the people stood up and looked at me and, you know. So I played along, I put my color up, I put in my happy mood, and I put my fingers up and I winged at her. You know, this was his classic move, he winged at people. So the mom next to this little girl passed out. Cold, laying next to her chair. Now, the lights went on, the manager came, Henry Winkler came, stood up, and they, they woke her back up, and, and when she came to, the manager said, ma'am, are you okay? Should, should we call an ambulance? What happened? Why did you pass out? And she looked a little puzzled, and she said, my little girl is six years old. 
She's heavily autistic, and just now was the first word she had ever spoken. One moment in time, ladies and gentlemen, one moment in time. So if you're looking at leadership, what leadership does and what it is, it all starts here. The way you think is the way you feel, the way you feel is the way you act, and that creates that reality that, that, that gives us that new push. And, and, you know, and many of you probably sit here and say, Andy, that sounds all good, but my reality is, is not so easy. You know, I struggle out there. I have very tough members. I have very tough owners, my board of directors. And yeah, there's always a reason not to feel good enough and, and that, that reflects in our frustration. I'm gonna talk about frustration management here in a second to coach you to hold yourself accountable to lower your frequency and the severity of your outbreaks. But, but yes, you're right, life is tough. There is no argument here. Life is difficult and life can take it all away from you in a split of a second and life will not apologize to you nor will life feel sorry for you. Life just is, ladies and gentlemen, right? One of my favorite movie quotes is when Rocky Balboa spoke to his son. He said, look, son, life will hold you down if you let it. But life is not how hard you hit. Life is how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. It's how hard you can take it, stand back up, and keep moving on. Because that's how winning is done. So the ability for us to stand back up and recognize the, the power that we actually have, you know, and we talk about frustration here and, 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 and lack of self-confidence in a second. So many people wake up by saying, I'm just. I'm not strong enough. I'm not good enough. And that becomes the downfall for many people. Now, here's what you need to understand. This is why this is so important. You know, many of us think if I put a lot of hours in it, if I'm successful, I will be safe in my job. And that is not true anymore because in today's world, what we are seeing out there, the trend of leadership that's changing, is that the end of the day, what's coming, that you are not measured by how hard you work because that's expected. Right? It's expected that you work 12, 13, 14 hours. It's expected that you are doing great jobs, that you have great projects going, that you build success in your club. But, but what really makes you stand out is how you upload your belief system and your intelligence into the behavioral patterns of your staff because they run your club. It is them who smile or don't. It is them. I was in a club just recently and I walk in and, and I was a guest there. I was sitting at the bar and I tell the bartender, I said, good evening, sir. The bartender says, hi. Like I said, Jesus, here we go again. Member entertains bartender, what a concept, right? Mr. Bartender, my name is Andy. I will be your guest this evening. Would you please be nice to me? I mean, come on, man. Right? And then, and then, he, he, then he, no, he, he didn't know who I am. So because if, I, if you don't want to talk to me, that's your problem because I keep talking. Right? So, and, I, and I basically said, so, so how are you? And he said, good. He said, where are you from? I said, here. I said, oh, I like this place. Oh, it's overrated. What do you want to drink? That's how this bartender speaks to me. And he serves me a nice glass of wine and a nice bowl of nuts. And he thinks he did a good job. So recognizing the importance of what time really is, ladies and gentlemen, it is the essence of building something that creates memories, right? And if I could break this down, and I don't have a flip chart, so you're just gonna play with me like the theater of the minds. If I could give you two rectangles, right? They're side by side. And the first rectangle is filled with something I call skill and knowledge. And that really represents your job code. That's what you do, that's what your staff does, that is your responsibility. I call that category to do. Because think about it, when we are going to work, we are there to do something. We are there to work, we are there to perform, right? We are there to, to create. So that first category is, is to do. That is your responsibility, you're following your standard operating procedures, your policies in your club, you know, and engineering has very different to-do lists than food and beverage, than culinary, than agronomy. 
So everybody has different to-do lists, and these are easy to teach. Look at your handbook. It's filled with these to-dos, right, and don'ts. A handbook to me, when I see them, I usually do this. Because a, hand, a handbook doesn't allow our employees to become creative. Show me where in your handbook it is to be creative and to be passionate in our job description. It's really black and white. It's like do and don'ts, right? That's usually what we are doing. That's that category. And now we are programming us. We are programming our people to do. And that's why a service became so robotic and manufactured and cold. Have you ever been in a restaurant where a server walks up and, you, and, and says, good evening, my name is Tom, I'll be your server, what do you want to drink? Ever been there? What they really should tell you is that, good evening, my name is Tom, I hate my job, I don't like it, but I have to pay the bills, what do you want to drink? It's very flat, right? It's very flatlined. It's, we, we are not using our emotions, we're not using our ability to really uh, make people feel. Now, the other category, however, is called will the other rectangle, and that category is filled, I call that category, to be. And that is what we need to concentrate on as leaders, ladies and gentlemen. That is the essence of leadership. What really matters and how are we connecting with our staff to become leaders for us to manage them and to move them into where we want them to be. Many employees don't smile out there. Look, I invite you, go back and look at your club and look at the employee's facial exp expression. Now, I don't stereotype that. There are great people out there. Please don't, don't look at me that I'm look only looking at the negative. Far from it. Trust me, I celebrate the positives. But it's, it's the, the negative outweighs the positive out there. It's because we're continuously educating and training our people to become better in their job. Within that, they forget why they are really here. So the category that I call will has to do with your personality, that has to do with your character, that has to do with your smile, your eye contact. And uh, you know, Greg Patterson always says, listen, I thank you for the machinery, but I, I love the poetry. And the poetry is the behavioral belief system of your staff to confront that and to translate that into the experience of our member. And that is not just designed for clubs, that's a business formula. Because if people are not feeling welcomed and comfortable, then why should they come back? It's our members who pay us, and they keep us alive. So and I think, it's interesting. You should almost do this when you go back to your club. Ask your employees, who do you work for? This is interesting. You, and I do this all over the world. And you will be amazed how they answer that. They look at you a little funny. Is that, uh, I, was, I mean, I was just at a beautiful club in Charleston, and I had uh, about 200 employees in front of me, and I asked them the question. I said, so who, who, do, you, who, who do you work for? And they looked at me all glazed over and said, I work for this club. And I said, no, stop, stop. You're not, you may be employed here. So because here psychologically what comes into mind, if I work for you and if I think that, you, that, that I work for you, naturally so I'm holding you accountable for my safety. Why should I do something extraordinary if I realize that I work for you? So I basically told these employees that you can't do that, man. If you leave the house by saying, shoot me now, I have to go to work, you may as well tell your family, bye, I'm gonna suck today. You can't do that. You're fighting for your family, you're fighting for that better life, and you should have seen the light bulbs go off. Well, this guy came up to me and said, Andy, I have a seven-month-old son, I'm a, and a banquet, a banquet manager, uh, employee here. He said, you just have changed my outlook. He said, I never liked to go to these functions. I always dreaded going to work. Now I realize I work for my seven-month-old uh, boy. I said, all of a sudden, I, it's rekindled my energy. We have to give people purpose back, ladies and gentlemen. I call that higher purpose. And, and often people ask me, Andy, how do you do it? How do you, how do you stay so positive in, 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 when you life coach and when I travel so much? You know, I miss my family at times. 
I have some tricks in my sleeve, and one of them is I dress myself twice. Here they are. These are the pictures of my family. This matters, ladies and gentlemen. Here's the, the birth of my first daughter that passed away this morning. I kissed the picture. I said, come on, baby. Let's change the world one person at a time. You know how powerful that is? Here's the, the, my, the adoption to my second daughter, which I call Sushi. <laughs> She's so cute. <laughs> Don't take that person. Don't tell my wife I say that. I get in trouble. Here are the pictures of my, my marriage. Uh, uh, and here's my, my grandparents, who are my absolute heroes, who have been also my mentor. And here's my sailboat. One day I will sail the world. Uh, the question is not if, it's when. If I have shitty days, if I, if I feel low, if I'm deflated, if I'm tired, if I, I can't walk in here and tell you, look guys, I traveled yesterday all day, I'm tired. What do you care? Life is measured in performance. Life is measured in energy. So I can't walk in here. I have to be committed to give you 150% of what I deliver. And with that, I gotta be excited. I gotta be committed. And you gotta set yourself up. By the way, does anybody have real photographs of your family with you? Real photographs. Ever happened to you, sir, that you had a bad day and you look at them and it puts a smile back in your face? It's magic, isn't it? Absolutely, there it is, see? Fabulous. Now, the ones on the cell phone, they work. If you look at them, I like the paper pictures better, but that's your choice. Now, and you know, here's the other thing that I, and I don't say this, I'll give you some advice here. You know, I, I met this gentleman a while back and he came up to me, he gave me a hug and he said, Andy, I'm sorry about the loss of your baby. And I said, thank you. It's been now nine years now. The bleeding will never stop, right? But that's when people say, oh, you saved the little baby out of China? I said, no. That little baby saved me, 100%, right? So, but anyway, so he said, I'm gonna show you my picture. So he showed me the picture of his wife, beautiful young lady. And I said, oh, she's beautiful, congratulations. And he stalled and he said, yeah, she passed away on breast cancer. And, and I, said, I said, I'm so sorry, I gave him a hug. And, and, uh, and I said, sir, may I ask you a question? Because the picture looked fairly new. I said, when did you start carrying this picture of your wife with you? And he said, the day she died. And I made that same mistake. I start carrying these pictures the day I lost my daughter. And now here's where we make a fundamental mistake. Because if you shall lose somebody, hopefully not, but then you will have pictures of them with you all the time. My question to us, why do we, need to, why do we take pictures of our loved ones only when they are gone? That doesn't make sense to me because you need these people on your side when the club challenges you. You need these systems and strategies. And, and you know what I'm giving you here are nothing but strategies and systems to overcome some of your tough moments, to, de to deliver and recognize, right? Zinzu, one of my favorite uh, uh, authors, uh, he probably, you probably have heard of him, he wrote a book in 72 BC called The Art of War, right? He came up with that phrase, keep your friends close, keep your enemy closer, that was Zinzu. But he also released a quote in that, in that book that says, strategies without tactics is a slow road to victory, but tactics without strategies is the noise before defeat. So what kind of noise was he talking about? One day I have a bigger house, one day I have a bigger car, one day my life will be online. If we don't have strategies and tactics in place to keep us in line, we will be struggling definitely. So going back to these two boxes, skill versus will, let me give you some examples of what I just talked about. So the ability of being equipped with skill. I was in a club in Florida, this was years ago. So I'm sitting at 
the lunch room. I was invited as a guest and it was busy. It was one of these big, massive platinum clubs with, I mean, they had like seven action stations where cooks make all kinds of omelets and stir fries. And, and then it was, it was like an anthill, hustling and bustling, buffet runners and cooks and chefs and managers and servers and, and, and members everywhere. And I'm looking around, I'm just sitting close to the buffet when out of a sudden, my eyes get stalled on a situation. I said, you gotta be kidding me. There was an elder lady in her late 80s, early 90s on a double-handed walker standing in the buffet area and is trying to help herself with a little salad plate. And I, it, it just, it's happened so fast. And I said, is nobody helping her? So now it gets better. She's trying to take that plate and balance that on her walker. And that's when I stood up. And I rushed up to her. I said, ma'am, please allow me to help you. And I, I took a plate, I took her by my arm, and I slowly escorted her back to a table. I, I helped her in her seat, I served her her salad, and I wished her a nice day. She gave me the most beautiful smile. When I turned back, there were a couple of servers stalling and, and watching what I was doing. Ladies and gentlemen, have you become socially so bankrupt? Have you forgotten what the purpose of our industry really stands for? That we have to have the right to celebrate the, 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 the ability of, of making people feel good and helping them. Now, please don't, don't blame these servers. You probably said, that, that, that would never happen in my club. Be careful. Because if you educate your people to be only skill and knowledge, you're missing the point. You know, skill and knowledge creates the core function um, for humankind to move forward. But it's passion and joy that makes it worth it. Can you sit here and tell me that your staff has a good time when they come to the club, that they really enjoy what they do? Or is it just a necessity to pay the bills? Within that, we have to apply leadership. We have to step back in and redefine and re-educate and give our staff the ability to give them wings and make them fly and let them be creative again. We have frozen the ability of these people for so many years because it's not even your fault. When I said earlier that the relationship between staff and management is broken, it's not your fault. That started years ago, where they were on the receiving end of a mean, angry, corroded, and, 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 and bossy manager, and now you, now you get them. They're, they've been hurt, and they're still holding on to that anger, guys. So what we have to do is we have to start that healing process. Now, giving you an example on the other spectrum, right? These employees have been over-processed and over-trained to fill that buffet and to serve. So within that, we become business blind because out of a sudden, we don't see the member. Oh, here's the other question that you should ask your staff. Ask them who is paying you. That is another fundamental psychological question. And they will look at you again, very distorted. And they said, what do you mean, who's paying me? You, you pay me. And, and you know, within that, we are disconnected because it's not us that pay the staff, it's the members. It's every member that makes the choice to be in your club to give you their member. That shows up on their paycheck. So within that, if these employees think that you pay them, then why should I be nice to a member? So all of a sudden, the member becomes a necessity. The member becomes something that is more often unpleasant and not realizing that the members are actually the investment for my future. So we have to recalibrate the way our people think about the reality when they come to work and, and give them ownership. Right? And we have to start healing and bringing these two groups back together. So now let's look at the other side of the spectrum. I was in Singapore at the Shangri-La. Have you ever been to the Shang uh, any Shangri-La? Ever? It's, I mean, it's massive. It's, it's beautiful. And, and uh, so I always wanted to stay at the Shangri-La. So, and that's a very expensive hotel. I forgot what it was. I think it's $1,000 a night. And, uh, and uh, so I, when we moved to Singapore, I told my wife, I said, one day I want to stay there. Right? Massive, beautiful hotel. Considered one of the best hotels. Don, have you, have you, do you know, you know about it? 
right? It's, it's incredible. So, so we like to surprise each other, right? We, we're doing staycations, and generally we fly to Thailand or to Vietnam or Cambodia because Singapore sits so central that in 40 minutes you're in Thailand. In 35 minutes you're in Bali. And uh, so we do these long weekends. So, so I came home from a trip and my wife said, honey, your bags are packed. Um, I hope you have no plans on the weekend. We're going somewhere. And I said, I'd love to be surprised, right? So, so now from our house, the Shangi airport is to the right and Sentosa Island is left. So, and the taxi is taking us left and, and my daughter sits next to me. She said, Papa, I know where you're going. I said, tell me, no. I said, come on, then. What, are you, what are you teasing me for? Right? So we are heading left. And that's out of a sudden it hit me. And I said to my wife, are we going to the Shangri-La? And she said, maybe. <laughs> sure enough, we pulled in. And I was so super excited. The bell guys opened the door and they said, are you checking in? And I was all cocky. I said, yes, we are. Right? Shangri-La, I mean, what a, a once-in-a-lifetime experience, right? So they, they repeated my last name three times, and I realized they have an earpiece to communicate to the front desk. Now, this was funny. An Asian gentleman saying a German last name three times. That was really funny. I can't even repeat that. But <laughs> so, so we're getting out of the car. We walk in a beautiful lobby. I mean, massive. I mean, manicured. Shangri-La, for crying out loud. One of the best hotels in the world, right? So we're walking in. Out of a sudden, this woman walked up to us. Uh, about this tall in the middle of the lobby. And as soon as she got to us, she completely ignored me and my wife. I mean, didn't even recognize us. Went on her knees and started talking to my daughter. And she said, oh my, aren't you sweet? You're so pretty, what is your name? And my daughter was so, because we stay in Four Seasons with Scotlands, we stay in the best hotels in the world. That doesn't happen nowhere. And she's having a full-fledged conversation with my daughter. And my daughter, you know, she's so surprised. She said, you know what? You looked, who braided your hair? My mommy, oh, beautiful. Wait right here, I have a surprise for you. I'll be right back. She stands up, that's when I realized she was my front desk agent for crying out loud. So she gets to the front desk and she still ignores me and my wife. So then she comes back with a beautiful gift basket with beach toys and a yellow flower. Went back on her knees, still not talking to us. Continue and said, I want you to go to the beach today. Built me the biggest beach castle. And by the way, every princess needs a flower. This one is for me to you. Then she stands up, looks us both in the eye, and she vows. And she said, my name is Sue Ann, and I will have the, the privilege to welcome you to the Shangri-La. Your cocktails are awaiting you. That's how I checked into the Shangri-La. Are you kidding me? And it got better from there. Now, mind you, the Shangri-La is not a children's hotel. It's not. So now we're getting to the room. By the time we were in the room, somebody else came out, gave my daughter some ice cream, and now she had this basket of flour ice cream. By the time we were in the room, my daughter said, wow, that's a nice hotel, <laughs> right? Well, no kidding. So then the next morning, the housekeeper, she didn't go on her knees, but she vowed down. She did this and, and, and talked to my daughter in the hallway. Which housekeeper does that? Right? And she said to my daughter, can I leave you a little gift in your room? And my daughter said, aha, I said, hey, 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 slow down, right? Sure enough, we come back from breakfast, a beautiful candied apple with a note from the housekeeper to my daughter. Are you kidding me? And in the restaurants, you know, the, the most important person was my daughter. Now here in the US, when I go for dinner, my, the servers completely ignore my daughter. They treat her like she doesn't even exist. That's not even naive, that's stupid because you just deprived yourself of tip if that happens to be a tipping situation. So when I checked out, I called the GM. I wanted to talk to this guy, British guy. And I said, because leaning down to people obviously is a pattern there. 
And he said, oh, no, no, we teach our employees to do that because nobody is too tall to make a difference in the life of a child. We just have to go on eyesight again. They cater, and he said, when families check in, if happen to have children, they are the most important people in this hotel because generally they make the decision where they go back next. And I want to have my hotel filled, and therefore we are catering to what matters to my guests the most. Now, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the poetry. That's a whole different mindset. It's a whole different upload system of what these people have done. Now, would I go back there? Think about this. This was a $2,500 weekend. I mean, they hoovered you, man. They, they are thieves over there, I'll tell you. <laughs> and Singapore is expensive as is. So would I go back there? Would I? No, I can't afford it. What's wrong with you? <laughs> Beth doesn't pay me enough. I'm <laughs> just kidding. So let's go, going back to leadership. By the way, how are you feeling so far? Are we on point? Pretty much? So I want to go back to leadership, and then we're going to dive right into communication. We're going to talk. I don't even know what time it is. Uh, if you don't stop me, I, st I speak till midnight. Because, uh, Brian, what time is it? 10 to 10, okay, good, so I'm still on target, that's fine. So let's go back to leadership. Let's go back to the formula of what leadership really stands for and, um, and what leadership does. You see, when, when I asked you earlier who was your leader and why, uh, what is your role? Because I believe that people seek leadership. They might complain about it, but people seek leadership. When you were younger, you know, your parents, your grandparents, whoever, maybe even a boss that you had, probably beat the crap out of you. These were the toughest people that you, and back then you probably hated them. Today, they're your mentors. Why? Because they, they believed more in you than you believed in yourself. The attributes and the behavioral pattern in the psychological world, we call that touch points. The behavioral patterns, and your staff is watching you like a hawk. If you deal with them or deal with somebody else, it doesn't matter. Your staff is constantly, and by the way, as a side note, you know that you are uh, dinner conversation uh, at your employees' homes. You know that, right? I mean, they, 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 they may have never met you before, but they know you exactly. Let me tell you a personal story that happened to me. Uh, and I have, my grandparents have been my leaders, but I'm, I'm sharing a story with you about my business leader that is still today an icon. Uh, when I became the food and beverage director at the Grand Hyde in Atlanta, Georgia, and we were back then the number one property in Atlanta. I mean, we did million dollar weddings, man. I mean, we did, this hotel was always on fire. Monday to Friday, we had about 650 rooms. Monday to Friday, we did business and we burned and turned the ballroom. And then Friday afternoon, we flipped into social. Bar mitzvahs, I mean, uh, weddings, you name it, birthday parties. I mean, sometimes my food and beverage revenue beat the room's revenue. You can imagine, we were cooking. I mean, unbelievable. So I loved the job. I had a big brigade. I had about 27 managers. Uh, the, the, the culinary were reporting to me. Catering was reporting to me. So this was a big job, and, uh, and I loved it. I had a great time there. However, I didn't like my boss. Uh, I, I wouldn't use the word hate. That's a strong word. But uh, I, I thought the guy was, there was something wrong with him. I thought he had some issues. And he was so tough on me. I mean, have you ever seen a movie where the uh, uh, sous chef makes a 30 put a pot of gallon of soup and then the exec chef walks by and tastes it and then takes three grains of salt and says, now it's perfect, right? That was Tom. I mean, he, I could not please that man if my life depends. This is what he pulled. At 11.30 at night, he called me and he said, Andy, where are you? Uh, sleeping? He said, I want you to put your suit on. I want you to come to the hotel because him and his wife, oh, I hated these surprise visits, when they did a, a show in Atlanta, then they stayed in the hotel, uh, in the presidential suite, and then he ordered room service. 
So anyway, so he said, come to the hotel, put a suit on. I want you to come up to the presidential suite. I want you to sit next to me. I want you to taste the fish that your staff just served me. And I want you to tell me that this is up to your standard. And when I went up to the presidential suite, I, you better believe that I put a suit on, right? I went in there, like after midnight now, I'm sitting there, I have to eat cold, chewy fish. And Tom said to me, apologize to the fish because that fish died in vain. This was Tom. So you can imagine that I wasn't very crazy about him. But then he confused me because then out of a sudden he said, hey Andy, uh, come across the street. We had a Starbucks across the street. Come across the street to have a cup of cocoa. And the very first, first time he did that, I said, uh-oh. Right, now, now, I'm, now I'm done. Right, now, now I'm officially fired. Right? So I was mighty nervous. I walk across and, and out of a sudden he sits there. He's the nicest guy. I mean, he said, Andy, come on, sit down. How are you? And I was, you can imagine how confused I was, right? And, and I said, Tom, is everything okay? And he said, yeah. I said, just want to talk to you a little bit. That's all. So, and I said, oh, okay. So this was going on 15, 20 minutes. Then we went back to the hotel. And he did this a couple of times. I would say once a week, right? And the first couple of times he did that, I thought, okay, well, maybe now we are good. Maybe I survived the, the boot camp, right? As soon as we got back to the hotel, sure enough, the beating continued. So I thought the guy had bipolar, seriously. I mean, it's like a box of chocolate, man. You never go and never know what you get. So this was going on for eight months, right? And, and again, every time I walked in his office, I was mighty nervous. I, I was intimidated by this man and he considered a top leader with Hyatt back then. Um, so this is going on for eight months. Now I'm coming home one evening, it's the end of November and uh, we have dinner at home. My, and my wife says to me, he said, hey Andy, I got a letter from Tom. And I said, which Tom? I said, your boss, Tom Voss. I said, what? So now, now I'm really getting nervous. My, wife, my, my boss sends my wife a letter. So she said, do you want me to open it? I said, well, yeah, open it, right? And I still, I still remember the look she gave me. And she didn't say a word, she just handed me the card. I still have it today. And in that card, basically it said, dear Andrea, happy birthday. My wife's birthday is December 2nd. And uh, he said, I know that your favorite restaurant in Atlanta is the Lobster Bar, so we took the liberty to buy you a nice gift certificate, which turned out to be $250. So next time Andy is off, you might can take him for a nice birthday dinner. Speaking of Andy, you have all reasons to be very proud of your husband. He is an amazing food and beverage director. He will go places. And I know that you support him behind the scenes, so also thank you to you. You have a successful future ahead. All the best. Happy birthday, Tom Voss and I had a tear run down my cheek. I was so touched by that, that for the very first time, this man gave me a compliment, was in front of my wife. That was so powerful. And my wife looked at me, because I bitched about him quite a bit, right, when I came home. And my wife looked at me and said, why, why, are, you so, why are you so negative about him? He's the nicest guy. I wish I, wish I, I, wish I had a boss like that, right? So, so the ability, so, so now the next day I had to walk into the hotel and face that man that I was, that I was afraid of, that I feared, right? So I walked into his office and, and that's when that switch happened. That's when that, 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 that situation happened that, that, that you can't explain that, you have to experience that. Look, the, the people that you identified as your leaders, they were not your leaders when you first met them. That took time. It took the ability for you to trust these people based on their behavioral patterns. And out of a sudden, you can't explain why, there is that shift that you're switching somebody from being a manager to be a leader. 
And it happened to me in that moment. I walked into his office and I looked at him for the very first time, not as the person that I'm afraid of anymore, because I accepted him. Ladies and gentlemen, leadership is all about acceptance. It's all about who you are with that person. And out of a sudden, I wasn't afraid of him anymore because I realized he is not against me, he's with me. So I walked in and I said, Tom, uh, how, do you, how do you know that my wife's favorite restaurant is the lobster bar? And he looked at me and said, oh, you got the letter, good. He said, because you told me you dummkopf. He always liked to call me dummkopf, which means stupid head, right? <laughs> so I, I don't know, he was a very charming guy. <laughs> so, and he, and he said, I did? I said, Andy, when I take you across the street for a coffee, do you think I'm taking you on a date? He said, I take you across there to get to know you. You see, as, a, as, as somebody you need to respect, you gotta get to know these people first. You see, I, I, I don't wanna get to know you only as Andy, the food and beverage director. In order for me to guide you, to mentor you, you have to become, I have to get to know who you are as a person, as a human being. What do you stand for? What are your values? What are your hobbies? What are, what are your restaurants? What, what do you do with your wife on the weekends? Where do you go on vacation? I, and that's when he opened up his drawer and he had a letter binder there. And under, that, under my name was everything that he learned on these coffee breaks. And he wrote that down. And he knew, he knew that I grew up on a farm in Germany. He knew that I liked to sail. He knew that I was a semi-pro tennis player when I was younger. He knew everything about me, everything. And he said, and by, based on these values, I can manage you very differently. I was completely buffed by that. This is a strategy. Remember what Sinzu said? Strategies and tactics, ladies and gentlemen. Get to know your people. He challenged me. He said, Andy, how well do you know your managers, your employees? And I had to admit that I knew them in their professional ability, but I didn't know them as people. I had no idea who they were, if they were married or not, because I failed to ask the right questions. And with that, you send signals that you simply don't care, right? So, so he said, get with your people. And, and again, challenging you, how well do you know your people? You know their first names, their last names, their children's names, their anniversaries, their, you know, their, their hobbies, their, any illnesses in the family. Now, now, please don't interrogate your employees. That's, that's you know, so, okay, last name, children, married, really, name. So do that slick, man, have coffee with your people. And then the second part, what he said, was uh, even more powerful. He said, Andy, I know I'm pushing you, but you gotta, be, you gotta stop being such a sissy. He said, you are the weakest German I've ever met. I said, well, thank you very much for that compliment, right? He said, every time I'm telling you something, you sit in the corner, you cry like a lawn, and you fold like a lawn chair. He said, Andy, you gotta grow a skin for crying out loud. He said, you know when, when you should be mad at me? You should, you should take me to HR, not because I coach you, but you should take me to HR when I stop coaching you because that's when I have given up on you. He said, come on, man, but you gotta let me in. Don't, don't take this personal, right? I'm, yeah, I'm hard on you because I believe in you because I see something in you that you probably haven't discovered in yourself yet. That's why I'm your coach and I take this personal, so stop pushing me away. From this moment on, that man became my mentor, ladies and gentlemen. And when he, he basically said, he said, Andy, do you give me the permission to coach you? And I said, of course. So basically what he said, do you give me the permission to beat the hell out of you? And, and what do you say, of course, right? And uh, we still today have an amazing relationship. Tom today is one of the top dogs with Fairmont Worldwide. And uh, you know when I call him and I have questions about my company, and uh, he's not the one who says, oh, Andy, just do it like that. No, he's like, dumb kopf. You should do this way. Why are you doing this? You're an idiot. You should not do that. Do it this way. Okay, thank you, Tom. All right, bye. Click, click. 
but he has helped me to build my company. He's helped me to be the man that I'm standing in front of you today. He has become my coach. Now, has anyone ever experienced a tremendous leadership story that you want to share? I usually ask that question because we're collecting stories of tremendous leadership. Anybody? Anybody ever? I want to share a story with you that happened to me in Florida at one of the private country clubs. And I did a, a seminar, like a, a, I think it was a three-day seminar, and, and, and that juncture of the seminar, I asked somebody, do you have a story to share? And the, the golf course maintenance guy stood up. Uh, it was St. Andrews Country Club. And uh, he, he, tall guy, I forgot his name, but a super, super nice guy. Very quiet, but this gentleman is about 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, and he has hands, I think they were meant to be shovels. I mean, the guy is a giant, looked like a wrestler, right? And, uh, and at first I thought he didn't like the program because he was so quiet, but then he stood up, he said, I would like to share a story with the group, what leadership really is. Similar to what, what Tom did with me, he said, when I was younger, he was in the 60s, I think, at this point, he said, when I was younger, I worked with Blockbuster. You remember Blockbuster? I don't want to date myself, but you know, the VCRs, right? So he was part of the building committee, the building team to build these freestanding Blockbuster huts all over the country. And he said, same thing. He said, we had a great team, but I hated my boss. He was Eastern European and uh, I hated him. And it was always me. But I had two girls, I had twins, a wife, we lived in Florida, and the money was good. That was the only reason why I did it. But that guy was never nice to me. So one summer we were in Phoenix in Arizona, he said, and um, it was Friday afternoon, I was going back to the trailer to turn in the keys and to check in for the weekend in the hotel when my boss said, you're not done yet. You gotta go to the airport to pick up some VIPs. And he said, and I already had it. I already was on, on limit to snap, right? And he said, always me. We had four superintendents, but it was always me he picked that. And, 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 and then he looked at me, he said, but would you please go to the hotel, shower, put a suit on, you stink. And he said, that's when I was about to hit him. And I guess if this guy hits somebody, it's like an atomic bomb goes off, right? So he said, I bit my lip from this moment on, I knew I need an exit strategy, I'm done. He said, I, he gave me this name with these stupid VIPs on it and I grabbed the name and I stormed off, I slammed the door of the trailer and I even kicked the tire off the car. It was always me, right? So get to the hotel, showered, put a suit on, went to the stupid airport, and this is how I talked, right? And he said, I was, I was angry, I was, I was victimized, I was, so this was before 9-11. So I curve parked, I got out there, and I waited for these dumb VIPs to come down the escalators. And I'm sitting there, waiting. And out of a sudden, I froze. Because down the escalator came my wife and my two daughters. The guy flew my family in. And I, and I was so, he said, and, and while, while this man is sharing the story, tough guy, big guy, big tears ran down his cheeks. That story must have been 40 years old. And the kids came running up to him and said, surprise. And, and he said, what? And the wife said, yeah, your boss called us and invited us up. And he said, she said, he said, you worked so hard. You need a little break. Now he said, the man I was about to kill Flew my family in, right? So they booked us in a nice hotel. We had a beautiful weekend. I spent time with my children in the pool. We had nice dinners. Now, on Sunday night, they left. And then the next morning, I had to face my boss. And he said, Andy, that's why I can associate with what happened to you because it happened to me. From that moment on, when I walked in that trailer, he said, I flipped. I looked at this man as my mentor. And he basically told me the same thing. He said, stop being so sensitive. You're the only one who has the potential to take over after I'm gone. Ladies and gentlemen, that's how leadership is born. 
That's how, now I'm not asking you to fly your families of your employees in, right? That's expensive. But it's the small things in life. Imagine, imagine if you have an employee, you know something about them, and you write a personal handwritten card, not just to their families, but also to the employee and the families, and thank the whole family about their performance. They come to you very differently to work tomorrow. That's what leadership stands for, people. Leadership is to connect and make time. And, and basically, here's the, here's the formula. If you want to be accepted as a leader in the eyes of your staff, you need to have a formula in place. The first thing what you need is, can I trust my manager? And that's only done by you spending time with him. Have coffee with him. Get to know them. Right? Just give him a bottle of water. Get yourself close to the people who carry you forward. It's like being on a captain on a big cruise ship. You know, you, you, you run the show, there's no question. Let's imagine that you're on this cruise ship, you're on the helm, you're on the bridge, you have both hands on the wheel, and, and, and you've gone, been gone straight for years. So out of a sudden, your committee says, hey, you gotta turn the course of this cruise ship. You gotta make a turn. And you think to yourself, no problem, I can get that done. And you turn the wheel, you realize that wheel is not moving. And you think to yourself, well, what's going on now, right? Why is this meal? And, 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 and you're putting harder and harder and harder. In reality, ladies and gentlemen, yes, you are on top of the, the food chain in your club. There's no question. But in reality, your employees, they control the rudder. They will decide where you're going. And if they don't believe in you, if they fear you, you will never be their leader. They have to respect you, ladies and gentlemen. They have to know who you are. And people seek leadership. They might complain about it, but people seek leadership. They seek, they seek directives. They seek that somebody makes time for them to ask questions. I was in San Francisco years ago. I opened the Intercontinental Howard and Fifth, and part of our job there was to open Luce. Luce is a two-star Michelin restaurant, one of the top dining facilities. Are you familiar with it? Yeah, fantastic. Dominique was the opening chef, who's today world famous. She is a star on Food Network. So, so my team went up, including myself, to open the dining room and to anchor the high-level service quality of this dining room. They hired a restaurant manager out of Italy. His name was Mark. And the first time I met Mark, I mean, the way the, way the guy handled himself. So I studied wines, right? So I'm, I'm a pretty, I'm a professional drinker. So what's, what's your excuse? <laughs> so, so I'm not a sommelier, but I have my degree in wine and spirits. But, but this guy knew more about wine than, than will forget more about wine than I will ever, ever know. So, so the way he walked, you know, he was this good looking Italian guy and he floated through the dining room and, and charming with his accent, ciao bella. I mean, I didn't even know they make Italians that nice, right? I mean, fabulous. Uh, but he failed, he failed as a leader, completely. The staff didn't respect him, the staff liked him but the staff didn't respect him because they, 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 they could do anything they wanted and he didn't interfere. He didn't give them systems and strategies. He didn't give them, give them values. So eventually he lost his job. And I agree, he was the best Metro D I've ever seen, but he should never be a manager. He was not qualified because he was afraid of conflict, right? So they brought somebody in from Chicago, half as qualified, in my opinion, knowledge-wise, but that guy knew how to run a restaurant. You know what the employees said? Finally, somebody who knows how to run a restaurant. Finally, somebody with directions. People do seek leadership. So, can I trust my manager? Is my manager committed to excellence? And does my manager care? And this is kind of like a broad spectrum. What means care? So when we ask employees, what do you need of a manager to be respected in your eyes? And that's what they said. I want our manager to care more. I said, well, that's, that's not good enough. I, 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 how do I tell you, just care more? What a, that's a spectrum word that's, that, has, that has no beginning and no end. 
So give me specifics, give me something tangible, I told his staff. And they said, well, does my manager care about me as a person? Does my manager care about my family? Does my manager care about my future? These are the three main anchors that our staff is looking for. So imagine when your staff leaves the club, and before they leave, you say, hey, when you come home tonight, make sure you hug your family, because family is always more important than work. That needs to be the new language that we are speaking, ladies and gentlemen. If you want your staff to give you more, we have to start learning to speak their language and sometimes step away from constantly talking business, recognizing the dynamics. So, within that, by the way, so far so good? All right, now, since sitting is kind of getting, getting boring, right, why don't we stand up? Why don't we play a couple of real fun games? So, all right, if you want to make an impact, and, and now we're, going, we're, we're changing this into the social application of leadership and uh, some, uh, some improv games that, that, that I brought that are really fun. Would you all please give me a smile? Everybody, give me a smile. Uh, no, 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 no. I, I, I got the Sopranos in the room. Right. So uh, you know, a smile is something very intimate. A smile is something very personal. And, and, and I believe that a smile is a coded language. It speaks a full, a full text, right? When I smile at people, I throw that smile across the room. I said, hey, nice to see you. It's good to have you, right? You can't force it. You can't, you can't just sell it. You have to freely give it away to make a difference. And uh, your smile is very powerful. By the way, ever happened to you that you smile at people and people don't smile back? Ever happened to you? Yeah, like all the time, right? <laughs> you, you smile at people, hey, how are you? And people give you a stink eye like... What are you smiling at, right? And, and here comes the sad news, because now, all of a sudden, we lose our smile. I honestly think we don't smile enough, simple enough. Now, there's always a smile out there. There's an angry smile, there's a tired smile, there's a vindictive smile, then there's a shy smile, then there's a Monday morning smile, then there's a my manager told me to smile. Then there, there are always smiles out there, but there's only one smile in this world, ladies and gentlemen, that has the power of stopping time in its tracks, and that is the first smile of a newborn baby. Have you ever seen a baby smile? When a baby is clean and fed, a baby smiles up to 150 times a day. How many times do we smile? Don't answer that. So your smile is something very magical, ladies and gentlemen. And, if you, and that's why babies smile specifically. Babies don't smile with their lips, they smile with their eyes. And when I go grocery shopping, this is hilarious. I usually pinpoint people. Um, yesterday, I went to Publix to get myself a peanut butter and jelly setup, which I'm explaining in a second what this is. Uh, but I walked by some people, they look pretty grumpy, right? So I walked by and I popped my eyebrows at them and said, hey, good afternoon, how are you? It's nice to see you. And then people stare at me, right? Like, and many times when I do that, people come up and say, I have, excuse me, have we met before? I said, no, I'm Andy. Nice to meet you, sir. Have a good day. And all of a sudden, the guy smiles back. But you know what? Because I gave him my smile. Ha, ha, ha. That's how powerful you are, right? So I don't care if people smile back or not. So also, if you want more, you got to smile more. Getting back to my little girl, Sushi. She had cleft lip, cleft palate. I mean, you know what that is? She had no roof in her mouth, and she had a split open lip. So she was found in a shoebox when she was about 12 months old. So then we brought her home. So we had all the operations done. I'll share this with you in a second. And... Um, I went through. So she was now 18 months old. She's a toddler, beautiful, sun-kissed skin. I think there's some Mongolian in her. She is not part of white. She has that bronze glow. So when she was little, I taught her who her grand-grand-grand-grand-grandfather was. So I said, go tell mommy who your grand-grand-grand-grandfather was. And she said, Jingdis Khan. 
And my wife got mad at me and said, don't tell her that. You know, can you imagine in school, they say, who's your grandparents? And she says, Genghis Khan. Anyway, she's awesome. So she wobbles around the corner. She's 18 months old. She's a toddler. I'm laying on the couch, 9.30 at night, with her little pigtails and these beautiful almond-shaped eyes. And she wraps herself around my leg, puts her chin on my knee, and she looks me straight in the eye, and her entire face lit up like a firecracker. She's literally smiled herself straight into my heart. And I, I, I looked at her, I said, oh, my little girl loves me, right? So then she took my fingers to get me off the couch. So I said, sweetheart, what do you need? So she, of course, she couldn't speak yet. So, so, so she walks, wobbles me into the kitchen, and then she showed me this. This means more candy, sweets. And she points at the ice cream freezer. And I said, oh, sweetheart, do you want ice cream? And she just nodded. It was a very mature conversation between father and daughter through sign language, right? So, of course, I did exactly what every responsible father would do to the 18 months old at 9.30 at night. What did I do? I gave her ice cream, of course. Isn't that what we're designed to do as parents? So anyway, so I gave her ice cream, and then she wobbled off. I felt good about myself, and she ended up in the bathroom to show my wife the ice cream. Uh, yeah, and that's when all hell broke loose. <laughs> Have you ever seen a conniption before? So my wife's like, Andy! So I walked in the bathroom, and here's my little girl, covered in ice cream, top to bottom. And my wife shook her hand and said, you've got to be joking. I just finished baiting her, and you filled her up with sugar. So I got yelled at, right? Here's what I didn't know. I didn't know that my little girl first went to my wife and said, Mommy, can I have some sweets? My wife said, have you lost your mind? It's 9.30 at night. You're going night-night. Instinctively, she probably thought this. Mommy, don't worry about this. I got this covered. The guy out there, all I have to do is smile at him. She made a Yui and she wobbled my way. I was victimized by an 18 months old. But that's what your smile can do, ladies and gentlemen. Com communication begins with body language. By the way, did you know that if you, when you speak to somebody, when you have a conversation, this could be group conversations, and I learned that from my speaking coach, when you want to have impacting speeches or even impacting conversations, did you know that when you speak with someone, that what people remember about you, 57% is solely the way you stood and the way you looked when you spoke, 57%. 35% is your intonation, the way you sound when you speak, and only 8% are the words that you actually used. So within that, your body speaks full force. It's called biomagnetic energy. But I want to do a little game with you right now. I want you to find a partner. Very quick, pair up in groups of two. Very quick, pair up in groups of two. All right, now, would you please, would you please face each other? Amongst the two of you, very quick, would you please appoint somebody who's going first? Very quick, appoint somebody who's going first. All right, good. Now, the person who's going first, please raise your hand. Put your other hand together. Point at your partner and say, you go first. That teaches you, that teaches you not to point at people. <laughs> so the person is going first, because I think we cracked the code. Uh, and, and the person is going first now. I want you to imagine that you're at your club, you're cruising through your, through your property, and you walk into this complete stranger that you have never met before. Maybe that person even looks a little nuts, right? You're in yellow hair, green stripes, whatever. But yet you're still a top professional in the hospitality industry, and I want you now to just simulate how it sounds like when you say hello to a stranger. Would you please say hello to a stranger? 
Thank you. All right, that was that, that's it. But that's exactly what I get when I when I walk into clubs and hotels, right? People treat me with a professional alignment, but it's really not warm and fuzzy. And here's why. There's a reason why. When you were little, when you were children or teenagers, did your parents ever tell you, or grandparents, did they ever tell you, don't talk to strangers? Ever happen? Right? That's still with you today. There is that, that invisible barrier, and, and often a little psychology for you. We are functioning through impulses, and there are two impulses that we draw from. The first impulse is the impulse that you cannot resist. For example, breathing and blinking your eyes. That's an impulse that your body does automatically. You don't even have to think about it. Your body functions. That is done through an impulse that you, you simply can't resist. But then there are impulses that we choose not to resist. For example, smiling, laughing, or being angry. These are impulses that we actually control, but yet they're still deeply anchored in our central nervous system. So within that, that is still with you. Now I want you to show how that sounds like when you don't know a stranger. And that is what we have to teach our staff. And that's what I do. Main when I come to your clubs, working with your staff to remove that barrier. Now imagine a week later, that member that you just, or that person that you just said hello, uh, is not a stranger anymore, maybe now becomes a member of your club, and out of a sudden, the outer shell disappears. You know, when you really enjoy somebody, the outer shell doesn't matter anymore because you enjoy people from what they stand for on the inside. Would you please face your person again? This time, don't say hello to a stranger. This time, say hello to your favorite member. Come on, guys, say hello. So, Next, did you, did you feel the difference? The energy radiates through this room. That's when people say to me, good morning, how are you? That, out of a sudden, this is so rare because people are usually don't do it anymore. Imagine if you're bringing that energy package back that changes the dynamics of how your club vibrates through positivity. Next exercise, would you please face each other? Look at each other's feet and say hello. Really? You, you, know, you know how often this happens to me? That people, they look at all kinds of body parts, but certainly not in my eyes, right? Next, next exercise, would you please look at, face your partner, look over your partner's left or right shoulder and tell each other an exciting story. You know, when I'm, when I'm hanging out in the bars, and in, you know, I, I, speak, I speak quite a bit about bars, that's not because I have an alcohol problem, but because when you travel as much as I do, I, I just hate sitting on a table by myself. I, you look like somebody ordered you but forgot to pick you up, right? So, I, so how often do I sit in the bar, and the, the bartender's telling me the special of the day to my left shoulder, so I try to get over to get eye contact, but no so much luck. So next exercise, shake hands, say nice to see you, but look away. <laughs> you know, and many people say, well, Andy, yeah, these are the foundations. This is elementary stuff. Stop. You can't build an empire if the, if the foundation is unstable. 
One of my good buddies of mine, his, uh, his name is Jean-Pierre Etibetigure. He is the senior vice president for food and beverage for the Intercontinental Hotel Group worldwide. You can imagine, that guy. And he's built value in credo cards, and on that card it says, don't forget the soup. And I said, what? It's kind of funny. And he said, Andy, don't cook me a foie gras if you can't make me the soup first. So the same with us. We gotta bring some of the basics back before we can really move on and, can, and get creative in what we do. So now let's do it the right way. Now hold on, before you do that, I want you to kind of do how babies smile because babies smile by popping their eyebrows at you. Have you ever noticed that? Babies smile with their entire facial expression. Now, when you do that now, when you say hello, shake hands, now don't go too crazy, okay? Don't go, it's too much, right? And also, don't pop your eyebrows three times. Because if you pop your th eyebrows three times, that's not smiling, that's called flirting. Hey. <laughs> but I, but I, I want you just simply shake hands, give each other eye contact, and slightly pop that eyebrow, and tell each other, good morning, nice to see you. Come on, guys, please, go ahead. Ah. 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 Now. Before we're gonna go into more communication games, I actually wanna talk about frustration management here in a second, and then we're gonna dive into uh, the last exercise, which is uh, more uh, advanced communication through improv skill. But I want you to try something. Uh, would you please count off who is person one, who is person two? Just count off who is one, who is two. Okay, uh, normally I have two people to leave, but it takes too much time, so I'm gonna explain what I'm doing here. That drives me crazy, and that's so common on how people do that. This exercise is called stealing. So person one, I want you to imagine that you're not feeling well today, and you are walking up to person two, your partner, and simply I want you to say, hey, I think I'm coming down with a cold, I'm not feeling well. As soon person two hears that, I want you to steal the conversation and make it all about you. I want you to say, oh my God, I was, I was sick two weeks ago, I had to go to the doctor twice, I, I had to, I, I, I couldn't get a breath, I, had to, I missed work. I want you to feel how annoying that is when people steal our conversations. Would you please begin, face each other, go ahead. You know, you know how often, you know how often this is annoying, isn't it? Ladies and gentlemen, we are naturally doing this again by impulse. And um, I have even done this with my wife at home. I'm coming home, my wife's sitting there, she said to me, man, I had a difficult day. And all of a sudden I said, oh my God, I had a difficult day too. And then I talked to her about my difficult day. And eventually she said, Andy, that is rude. You gotta learn how to listen. This is not about you, this is about me. And she said, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't even think about doing that, right? When I'm sitting in a bar, the bartender says, where are you from? I say, Singapore. He said, oh, I was in Japan five years ago. And he tells me the next 30 minutes about his in Japan. Ladies and gentlemen, communication is about other people. You know, recognizing, stealing a conversation, instead of saying, you know what, Brian, I'm sorry that you're not feeling well. I hope you're feeling better. If you need anything, if I can help you, let me know, you right? Hug, you need a hug, come on, give me a hug. There you go, there you go. All right, guys, give yourself a hand, well done. Please be seated. We're gonna get up in a few minutes again. Uh, but before I'm gonna go into the last uh, paragraph of today, which is gonna be more communication games, it's gonna be fun. 
I want to talk about something a little bit more serious now. I want to talk about our, our frustration and, uh, and how quickly we get angry. And we have to be very careful because frustration lingers. Let me give you an example. I flew from Phoenix to um, Los Angeles last year. I'm sitting in the aisle. Next to me sits this woman with her four-year-old daughter. The flight attendant comes, gives us our refreshments and, and moves. And then about five minutes later, that mother had an outbreak on her daughter using profanity on her child. And this kid is trying to protect herself, thinking the mom is actually hitting her. And I said, I, I, I looked at this mom like, have you lost your mind? Can anybody guess why this mom had such an outbreak? She spilled the juice. Since when have we forgotten that a spilled glass of juice by our children is not a 10 on the disaster list? We are so over-processed because of these stupid cell phones, guys. We are a generation of idiots, dumb, dumb, dumb people in smartphones. We are too often addicted to that. By the way, did you know that you process more information today on one day than somebody in the 1900 processed an entire year? Did you know that? We are so on the edge. We get too often too frustrated. Think about how many times a day are you losing it? And now you're changing. It's not what makes you frustrated. It's who you become when you get frustrated. Your facial expression changes. Your smile is gone. Your eye contact is gone. You get very short and, 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 and snippy. Would you please tell me, Andy, can you help me? Say, Andy, can you help me? Andy, can you help me? Hell no, help yourself. All right. Say good morning to me. Morning. What's so good about it? See, we get very short. We're not creative. We often don't even know who we become when we get angry. Some people get freckles in their faces. Some people changing their walk. They get very isolated, very quiet, very vocal. We all have different expressions when we get angry with the same result that the world knows that you are in a bad place. Now, you need to understand something. Frustration lingers. That mother will forget that she had that outbreak by the time the week is over. That little girl will remember that situation on her 18th birthday. There's a great story that goes with it, what frustration does. And uh, again, this program by itself, frustration management, is four hours in, its, in itself. But I just wanted to remind you that frustration is a global killer. It can, it can hurt you. It, uh, frustration is linked to cancer. Anger is linked to stomach ulcers and to, to severe uh, uh, organ injuries. Think about it. Stress can put a holes in your stomach. What else can it do? Right? So there's a story about this young kid named Thomas. And Thomas is 14 years old. He is, he is in puberty. He's going to adolescence, 15 maybe. And he's coming home every day complaining about his life, hating the school, hating the teachers, hating his classmates, just going through. And I'm not sure about you, but if I could relive my life, I would skip 15 and 16. That was not good for me. Right? And if you have teenage children at home, you probably know what I mean. So anyways, so Thomas comes home every day angry and frustrated and upset and shares this now with their family. Do you know these angry people? They're like vampires, man. They suck you dry, right? They, they're, they're, so, they're so negative in their thinking, even their blood type is negative. Right? I mean, when you say, look at this beautiful day, they tell you it sucks, it's too hot, right? So look at this beautiful piece of fish. I hate fish, I like steak. So anyway, so Thomas comes home every day unleashing his anger onto his family. And one day his father said, Thomas, stop, 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 stop. You gotta quit doing this. This is, this, is, this is deflating for all of us. I mean, you know, when you walk in this house, it's like somebody sucked the energy out. He said, come with me, I wanna do an experiment with you. I wanna show you something. So he took him into the barn and he gave him a huge box of nails and a hammer. And he said, if you need more nails, you know where they are. Now come with me. And they had a huge garden fence around their house. 
And uh, he said, now when you come home, every day before you enter the house, I want you to unleash your frustration instead of bringing it to us, let it out on the fence, get it off your chest as hard as you can. And his son looked at him a little funny, he said, dad, he said, just trust me, believe that, it will help you. So from this moment on, everybody knew when Thomas came home because they heard the hammer and the nails. And he was going to town like 20, 30, 40 nails, right? As hard as he could. So this was going on for weeks at a time until the nailing became less, 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 and it stopped. Then his father walked up to him and said, hey Thomas, no more, no more nails today, what happened? And, 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 and Thomas said, you know dad, I realized something. I, 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 it doesn't really help me long-term. It kind of feels good to kind of get your aggression off, but it doesn't do you any good long-term. So, and he said, ah, Thomas, well done. Now, see, frustration, it lasts only a short amount of time until you get it off, right? So now, we're gonna do this in reverse. Now you have to learn how to control your frustration, and he gave him a crowbar. He said, so every day when you come home, I want you to take a deep breath, go to the fence, and take the nails out. And he said, Dad, there must be thousands of nails in here. I said, I know, you better get busy, right? So every day Thomas came home, he started taking these nails out until they were all gone. Then him and his dad walked along the fence line and, and said, and, and Thomas looked at him, he said, Dad, I destroyed the fence, look at this, I'll help you build a new one. And his dad said, Thomas, it's not about the fence. It's about the lesson behind what you just did here. You see, when you are angry, when you justify your anger, because isn't that what we do? As long as we justify where that anger is coming from, we feel entitled that it's okay to hurt other people. That means if you drive something into whatever, words into people, nails into fences, and even if you feel sorry, even if it's done, if you take the nails out, the damage remains, ladies and gentlemen. So having the ability and knowing what frustration does, and I'll be very frank with you, I know what frustration does because when people often see me and my wife engage, they always look at me and say, my God, I want a marriage like you. You have such a beautiful family. You're always so positive, right? Not always, but more often than not. But, uh, but that was not my first marriage. Oh, I practiced once. That didn't go very well. I, when I was uh, the assistant director in Maui, I worked 15, 16, 17 hours a day, and I came home every day frustrated and angry. I wasn't fun. I shared my negativity that I stored up all day at work, and guess who took it on the chin? My wife. And, and this goes going on for two years until there was, a, there was a letter left for me, and she was gone with another man. Back then I was angry, I was frustrated, I was upset, I blamed the hotel, I blamed the Hyatt, I blamed my boss, I blamed everybody under the sun. Because obviously I was the victim. Today I'm standing in front of you ladies and gentlemen, I'm telling you, it wasn't her fault, it was mine. I pushed her away through my personality and through my negativity and I swore to myself that if I ever have the chance to get married again, that will never happen to me again. And that's why I treat my wife the way I treat her today, because your family is a brand, and you need leadership and behavioral patterns to build that brand. If you put your family on an autopilot, be careful, you will run out of fuel. How many times a week are you coming home and sharing your negativity with your family? Gotta stop doing that, guys. I know you work hard. I know you have tough things that you have to overcome, but don't you have also positive things happening in your club? Why can't we change these positives? And, you know, what I've learned over the years, again, I don't want to go too much into this, but I have built shields that protect me from these outside triggers, 
For example, negative people, angry people, people who try to take me down. Uh, I have built shields around me because I, you can't change angry people. You can't change dumb and stupid people. You can't. They, it, unfortunately, they exist. It would be so nice if people had to wear a sign, sorry, I'm stupid, forgive me. But sometimes we just don't discover after it's too late, right? So we have to deal with them, and these people affect us. To what level, ladies and gentlemen? Let me give you an example. When I have regulated my mind, and there are many shields that I have, we don't have enough time to go through them, but I'll just give you one. My daughter's surgery. When we brought her back from China, she had that cleft lip, cleft palate. She had no roof in her mouth, split open lip, and we just had her two weeks. She is now 12 months old, equivalent to a six months old, because what we have learned is that when you have no roof in your mouth, you can't breastfeed. My daughter was starving to death. That's why I think they set her out. Not to kill her, but to rescue her. And that's when we flew to China to pick her up. So now we had these surgeries scheduled, ladies and gentlemen, and these surgeries, they were tough. First one was to rebuild the roof of her mouth. Seven hour reconstructive surgery on an infant baby. We had to sign documentation that she might not survive the anesthesia. The fear that comes with that is unimaginable, and I hope that you never have to go through that. You've never felt so helpless. And, and don't forget, we buried our first baby. So we went to the hospital. We were in the hands of one of the best surgeons who does that, Dr. Williams, who is a friend of the family. So we knew we were in, in the hands of somebody who is world-renowned in facial cranial surgeries. But even he said, it's going to be a dangerous surgery. So we, we, we turned her over to scrub nurse when my wife literally collapsed. She was losing it. And I, I pulled her back, and, and, and now the longest seven hours of my life just began. The elevator doors opened up to go down to the cafeteria, when in the elevators there was a young mother, maybe 25, don't know, ish. She was on a wheelchair. In that wheelchair was a little girl, maybe three or four years old, no hair, tattooed with needle sticks on some kind of a pump, maybe it was a leukemia pump. That little girl had cancer. And yet that little girl was dancing in her little wheelchair, smiling, laughing, eating a box of cookies. And when that mom saw, when that little girl saw my wife crying so hard, she reached into that box of cookies and handed my wife a cookie. I took my wife out of the elevator, I hugged her, I said, honey, we are taking Emanuela home. We just have to have faith. But that mother might not, never be that lucky. Because of the severity of the surgery of my daughter, they put us five days in the intensive care unit for children with cancer. My wife was on a breathing tube. She was um, under 15-minute morphine intervals, 24-hour surveillance. Have you ever burned your, your, your roof with a, with a pizza? Now you put a knife to that for seven hours. The pain is unimaginable. And my daughter was suffering. But you know what? It was happened when I got up at four in the morning to get some tea for my wife, and I'm walking along the hallway, and I'm seeing the parents of these children sitting outside besides themselves, having their hands in their face, crying, holding each other, because their children are dying, and they can't stop it. And that's when I hear beautiful people like us, like your employees, trying to convince me that you have a shitty day. How we got, we got to be crazy. Have we lost it? You know, if you think that God has overlooked you, if you think that you don't have it good enough, if you, if you think that life is not fair to you, then please walk into a children's cancer hospital. That's where you see a shitty day. Coming to work and inspiring your staff and building new dynamics and bringing leadership back to the forefront, smiling more, laughing more. That is not a job description. That's a lifestyle, ladies and gentlemen. And we need to bring this back. I'm not asking you to feel guilty about these children. I'm not. There's nothing we can do about. Life is cruel sometimes. 
But I'm asking you to bring something back that we all need to activate leadership, and that's called being grateful. Being grateful for what we have. Babies die in Africa every day because of the lack of fresh water, and we showered in drinking water this morning. But apparently our life is still not good enough. I don't get that, ladies and gentlemen. And we need to promote that message. We have to slow way down, and we have to be grateful for who we are. So guys, at this point, give yourself a hand. Come on. More than that, I, uh, I'm changing subject. Exactly, there's so much more detail, but I'm changing subject matters. Uh, I, I am getting hungry when I speak, so I would like to make a peanut butter jelly sandwich. We're talking again about, uh, about communication. Is my clicker not working? Uh, we're talking about, by the way, the single biggest challenge in, com in communication is the illusion that it took place. And speak when you're angry and you give the best speech you will ever regret. Right? So within that, so uh, I need a volunteer to come on stage to help me to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Uh, let me look around the room who can help me. Uh, Peter, can you help me? Peter, a good friend of mine, Fort Lauderdale Yacht Club. Give him a hand. Come on. Now, after this activity, we're going to stand up anyway. So if you would stand up and come a little closer so you get a better view of what's about to happen here. So far, so good. Very good. So, Peter, as I shared with you earlier, you know, we're diving head on back in communication, what communication really is and how we can activate our core to become a better communicator. Uh, Peter, have you ever made a peanut butter and jelly sandwich before? Of course. Of course? Well, I heard it's an American delicacy, uh, and I'm German. We have never made one. Be I've never made one before. I don't even know how it's done. So Peter volunteered to help me to make one and to verbally walk me through. Peter, how many steps does it take to make a peanut butter jelly since you're the expert? How many steps does it take? Oh, three steps. Three steps, and how long? Two minutes, three steps, should be no easy, not, not a big deal, even for a German, I should be able to do that. Okay, so uh, let's begin. So here are the rules, you can verbally walk me through and then I'm just following your instructions. I got the knife, the plate, the napkins, I got all. Right? So, get, get all right. Your bread. Get, get my bread, okay. Mm -hmm. What do I do? You gotta open up the bag. Open up the bread, okay, open up the bread. <laughs> all right. Did I do that well? Did. Potatoes, <laughs> franchise, <laughs> salt. Good, okay, what do I do next? So take a piece of bread. Take a piece of bread. Okay, flat piece of bread. Oh, sorry, what do I do with that? You can leave it there. Flat piece of bread. You're gonna lay it Oh, lay it flat, hand. so, okay. Open the jelly. Open. <laughs> Set the bread down. Grab the jar with one hand, the lid with the other. And you're going to turn. By the way, you already exceeded your three steps. You know that, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. What do you do now? Set the lid down. With the jar in one hand. Yeah. Knife in the other. By the handle. Oh, sorry. You're going to scoop the jelly out onto the bread. I tend to like a little more jelly than that. I also like it a little bit more in the middle. Oh, oh, the middle. Okay, sorry, I didn't know that. This is complicated, man. <laughs> I'm already exhausted. You do this every day? Okay, now, now what do I do? Okay, that's enough. Okay, good. <laughs> you got plenty there. All right, good. Now what do I do? So now you're going to set the jelly down. That works. <laughs> okay. Set the knife on the plate. Grab the jar of peanut butter with one hand. With the other hand, open the lid. No. Put your hand on the lid. 
and twisted. Now he's communicating. Amazing. Good. All right. Good. Now, uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh-oh. <It's> got complicated. <laughs> this part, you have to use your teeth. <laughs> You're weird, man. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> there you go. Now what do I do? You're gonna set that down. That'll work. Grab another piece of bread, flat. Flat. On your hand. Grab your uh, knife. Well, you're gonna have to flip the peanut butter oh. first. There okay. you go. So now, scoop the peanut butter. <laughs> so we're gonna try that again. <laughs> that would work. Set that one to the side. Oh. Well, you said scoop. Let's grab another piece of bread. Okay. Flat on the hand. Okay. With the knife, uh -huh. you're going to scoop your peanut butter. Uh-huh. With the knife. Good. With the knife. All right. And you're going to spread it on the flat part of the bread. Good. Now you're communicating. And then and then I do what? So now you're going to sit the knife down. Okay. And you're going to take the bread, flip it over, so the peanut butter side goes on the jelly. <laughs> Give him a hand. Good job. Now, you, Peter, you, obviously a silly exercise, but is it? Not nearly as silly, silly as you may think. Have, do you have staff members in your, within your room of your club and you give them the simplest of instructions and they still manage to screw that up? Ever happened to you? Right? And you wonder yourself, how in the world is that possible that, I mean, I can't explain that any more detailed because what just happened here, you know, Peter verbalized his instructions and we're assuming that people understand what we just talked about. There are several different reasons as why our employees fail in attempts of that. One, underqualified, not trained properly, but there is something in mind, something that you need to know as a leader, and that's called processing disorder. That's a learning disorder just like dyslexia, and, and, and it's almost impossible to, to understand what these people go through when you have that disorder. And the best way to describe that, because they don't learn the way we learn. They don't learn by audible instructions, and the best way to explain that, if I take the alphabet from A to Z, and I associate a number with each letter, so A is one, B is two, C is three, and so on. And now I'm standing in front of you, and I'm telling you, 12, 1, 6, 5, 8, 8, 21, 6, 9, 12, 11, 4, 3, 7, 5, 12, 8, 9, 1, 1, 2, 3, 3, and 4, and 5. What did I just tell you? You hear me loud and clear, but your brain is not designed to convert that message into actions. So now these people, the only way they learn is by copying other people's behaviors. It's the only way. And here's what you're up against, is these people are not knowing that they have it, so within that, they don't come forward and say, hey, I have processing disorder, because the only way they learn is by reconnecting, by kinesthetic learning, that means by reenactment. It's called tell, show, do, and review. And by you saying, you know what, Peter, let me show you how to make a peanut butter jelly sandwich, where you do it first, I said, Peter, now it's your turn, please do one, and you coach them through, and then you celebrate them. Most of the time, these people have failed in school because they, most of the people don't even know they have it, they just think they're not intelligent. Let me tell you, these people with processing disorders are usually high-functioning. They have a very high IQ. But now here's what you're not allowed to do. You cannot walk up to Peter and say, hey, Peter, processing disorder, huh? Let me, let me help you. Oh, you could get in serious trouble for that because you're not a clinical psychiatrist. So, so within that, guys, give Peter another hand. Come on. Thank you, Peter. Thank you. So if you, have, if you have somebody in your brigade that is slow, 
Don't be too quick to stamp them off as being stupid or not being smart. Change the way you coach and teach and educate them and you might be surprised what these people can give you. You need to be aware that processing disorder, just like dyslexia, is real and many more people have it than you could possibly imagine. There's a very good chance that some of your staff members in your club suffering with that disorder. And it's our job to identify and help them and not judge them. So with that, we're going to play a couple more games, and then we are com coming already towards the closing story. Would you please find your partner back? Would you please find your partner back? All right. Now, I need to position you. I need to position you that one of you, one of you faces the back wall, like so. And the other person, hold on, guys, hold on. So one of you faces the back wall, and the other person faces your partner, but looks at the screens like so. So now you got to turn around, turn around. You got you to flip. There you go. That's my, that's my example. You look the other way. There you go. Perfect. That's the way. Perfect. So I'm throwing you into a simulator now. And uh, in that simulator, the person with the back to the screen, I want you to imagine that you're an employee of the club and you just came back from Las Vegas and you tore it up. Now guys, keep it clean, it's a family show, all right? <laughs> so the person who is facing the screen, now the people with the back to the screen, please don't turn around, don't look at the screens. The people who are facing the screen, you're the manager. So now I want you to, the person who's coming from Vegas, I want you to imagine you're walking into your manager's office and I want you to share your experience in Las Vegas. I want you to be all fired up, had the greatest time, and you as managers facing the screen, you're reacting that way. You ready? Please come back from Vegas, have fun. Come on, let's go. All right, that's, that's not going very well now, is it? You know, and I often, your staff, and I work with staff, the staff is very quick to say my manager doesn't care about me. And I, and I, I inter intervene because I don't think that is true. I think you greatly care about your, your staff, but sometimes it's the way we come across. Um, so let's play this quick. What's your name? Clayton. Clayton, uh, Clayton, Lost Tree Club, beautiful. Clayton, I want you to be the, the one who's coming back from Vegas, right? And I want you to keep on going, right? So, and I'm giving you my thoughts out loud. I want you now to understand why we are coming across so absent-minded. So don't be distracted by my words. I want you to come back from Vegas. You ready, Clayton? Let's go, come on. I think so. All right, let's go. All right. Oh my God, I just got Oh, I have to do Vegas payroll at three o'clock today. I have to hire oh two new gosh. people. I have to talk God, to Mr. Brown about a reservation. Casino, I have to pick up the wife at five. Oh my, my kids, oh my God, I, have to, I have to do this. I have to, I have to take like next, next week. I have to take off Mondays or Tuesdays. Like I'm not quite sure. I, I definitely like, oh, have to hire two new people. I have to write somebody up. Give him a hand, come on, are you kidding me? Clayton, awesome, thank you. Now, 
what just happened is that, that I gave you my thoughts out loud. It's not that I don't care about his trip, but I'm so over-processed and overwhelmed that my mind is all over. Now, what Clayton sees is just my shell because he can't hear my thoughts. And now within that, he walks away and said, yeah, Andy, you care about me. Thank you very much. And with that, we are breaking that relationship. Instead of me walking up, I said, hey, Clayton, it's good to have you back, buddy. I have to run to a, to a meeting, but at 3 o'clock, I want to know all about Las Vegas. And by the way, it's good to have you here. We, we were missing you. Thanks, buddy. And now he leaves my office and said, you know what? That Andy is a good guy. He cares about me. It takes you three seconds to make him feel good. Now, at 3 o'clock, you better find him. Otherwise, you look like a schmuck, right? <laughs> now, now, that has a lot to do with listening skills. And then my wife and I, we had some, some arguments when we just started to date that I'm not a good listener. And I disagreed with that. I said, well, I think I listen very well. She said, no, you, you hear, but you don't listen. That's different. And so she handed me a book, and in that book, there was basically a summary. It said, when I ask you to listen to me and you interrupt me, you have not done what I ask you to do. Guess what? I'm guilty as charged. How often have I interrupted my staff, my managers, my wife, my friends? Comment that became a habit. When I ask you to listen to me and you make this conversation now about you, we played that game stealing, again, you have not done what I ask you to do. This is not about you. It's about me. When I ask you to listen to me, and you're telling me I shouldn't feel this, feel this way, now you're taking over my emotions, and now you're disrespecting how I should feel. I'm also guilty as charged. And when I ask you to, to listen to me, and you defend yourself, you again make this about you and not about me. And at last, when I ask you to listen to me, and you're finishing my sentence for me, now you pick the fight. I am guilty on all these charges, man. I was a lousy listener. Listening is about the other person, and, and then a few weeks later, she came home one day, and uh, she had a bad day. She, she, she vented and vented and vented, and I gave her eye contact. I didn't look away. I, I nodded. I kept my mouth shut. This was hard to do, believe it or not. Keeping your mouth shut when somebody else talks is not easy to do. So I, I, I nodded, and then she, when she was finished, I, I looked at her, and I said, honey, I gave her 10 seconds to make sure she's finished, and then I said, honey, do you want me to say something to this? Do you want me to comment, or do you just want me to to listen and you want to get it off your chest. Oh, man, she came up and she gave me the biggest kiss. She said, no, that was respectful. Listening, ladies and gentlemen, is an art form. So there's a funny video, and then we're going to switch in positions. But first, let's look at this video. It's pretty funny. Das hier ist mein Sektor. Das hier ist das wichtigste Gerät des Küstenwächter. Das Gerät und das Gerät. Überlebensradar. Hello? This is the German Coast Guard. We are thinking, we're thinking. What are you thinking about? Yeah, yeah, always the Germans. All right, so would you please switch positions? Now the person who earlier looked at the screen is now looking at the back wall. Thank you. All right, now here is your next simulator. I want you to imagine that the person with the back to the screen, that you are a disgruntled member, that you're having a bad day and you're complaining to the, can you come up with something? I'm just, I don't know. <laughs> I must love <laughs> creative. So, so you, are, you are an angry member and you are now walking into the manager's office and you are venting. Uh, maybe the food was not good, maybe golf not good, golf course condition. I mean, you, you, you know exactly what that is all about. So I want you to be charged up. I want you to be angry. The person who is facing the screen, you're a manager. I want you to respond this way. Are you ready? 
Please, guys, come on. Have an angry member in your face. Let's go. Ladies and gentlemen, you are doing this way too well. <laughs> Throwing other people under the bus. You know how this happens to me? Especially in food and beverage when I, when I you know, my steak is overcooked and, and then the server comes up and I said, you know, my steak was overcooked and then the, the server says, yeah, we got a new chef, he's no good. I, seriously, I mean, I'm hearing this so often, we're throwing each other under the bus because as long as we think it's not our fault, we don't have to take ownership over it, right? So I was in Atlanta in a restaurant and they had beer soup on the menu. Now that's clever. I love beer, I love soup, hallelujah. So I ordered beer soup, right? I mean, when the server brought the soup, you, you couldn't eat it. I took one spoon and I said, ugh. This had the same consistency than the wallpaper slime that you put wallpaper up. It was nasty. So when the server picked up the food, I, and I said, excuse me, sir, but this is not your chef's finest hour, is it now? And he said, huh, I could have told you that. Everybody hates it. <laughs> I, said, I said, well, thanks for the warning. <laughs> now, you know, we become custom that we, as long as we can point fingers and blaming somebody, and this is so, again, so current and so real, you know, the sum of all of us have to be stronger than the individual department or the individual performance. And we have to communicate that loud to our staff because they throw each other under the bus like you wouldn't believe. Let me give you an example when I learned what true leadership stands for uh, through behavioral patterns. When I became the F&B director in Atlanta, I was uh, new and I, you know, the chef reported to me, catering reported to me. So I wanted to make some changes, right? That's normally what we do when we are taking on a new position. We wanted better things. And, and I looked at my operation, my ballroom was quite far away from the banquet kitchen. And I said to my chef, why are we not moving, especially for the smaller weddings, why don't we move the smaller wedding dish up, you know what a dish up is, right? To the ballroom, to the, to the back of the house. So with that, I save at least three or four stewards a night, make the math over the year, that's $750,000 on labor that I save. So, you know, and the chef said, Andy, we tried that because of the draft in the back hallway, the food gets cold. I said, come on, we have heat lamps, right? Let's give it a shot, let's give it a try. If we just make sure the door stays shut, I think we're gonna be okay. So he said, okay, you're the boss. So we did. Guess what, food was? Of course. So now, when we had weddings and stuff, I usually worked on the weekends, and then Mondays we had executive meeting when I took conveniently off, especially when there was a problem on the weekend, right? So anyway, so Tom leaned into chef and said, hey chef, why was your food cold uh, for this wedding? Because we get complaints, right? And, and he said, you never get food complaints about temperature, what happened? Now at this point, what do you think what he did? Oh, well, you know, I said, don't talk to me. Talk to this German hot food and beverage director that you hired, it was his call, right? That's what I would have done. But that's not what he did. He looked at Tom and said, you know Tom, we tried something new. You know, we wanted to bring the dish up closer, maybe saving some stewarding labor. But because of the draft, you know, the heat lamps couldn't keep up. 
And Tom said, okay, but change it back. I don't, I can't have that. Now, while this was going on, under the table, my catering director is already emailing me, texting me that the chef just took a bullet for me. Now, next day, I went into his office and said, Greg, you shouldn't have done that. You could have told him that it was my mistake. And he said, Andy, if one of us makes a decision, we both have to stand tall for it. This is not about you or me. This is about the better good of the entire department. And I shook his hand. I said, you know what? I apologize for my decision, which was wrong. And he said, now, can we change it back, please? Right? <laughs> But he showed me, today he is, he, is, he is one of the top executive chefs for Sandal Resorts in the Caribbean. The guy, I don't know how much money he makes, but that's leadership. Leadership is taking ownership, and if you have managers working for you, and, and you, you challenge them, and they throw everybody under the bus all around you, eventually they look like spineless jellyfish. Would you agree? All right, last video, and then I'm going to show you, give you the last uh, closing story. This video is hilarious. Take a look at this. Sit. Which one of you took all the Pepsi from the machine? Who did this? I see. You're all expelled. It's me. Would you please be seated? I'll give you the closing story. Now, within the realm of, of leadership, promoting teamwork, ladies and gentlemen, and, and there's a beautiful story that comes to mind. And when we lost our daughter, I was actually rescued by my employees. And I already left the Hyatt four years later before this happened. And uh, they came to my house, they found out what happened, and they, they rescued me and my wife. I was rescued by my employees. That's what leadership really stands for. And we got to promote teamwork by shaking hands. And, but there's a closing story that I want to leave you with that is beautiful, that kind of brings the senses of, of, uh, of, of teamwork back. Um, a true story. And uh, there's a father who is approaching uh, a podium at a local high school parent-teacher conference, huge high school, so they're like, 1,200, 1,500 people in the, in the atrium. And he is approaching the podium and he says, ladies and gentlemen, good evening. My name is so-and-so. And, -so, and I, um, I'm here to address the parents of, uh, of some of your children who have given my son, Shay, the best day of his life. He says, you see, I am not associated to the school because my son, Shay, doesn't learn the way your children learn. My son, Shay, has Down syndrome. Also, my son, Shay, can't run and do sports the way your children do because my son Shay is heavily physically disabled. So, but yet a few months ago, still warm, Sunday evening, we strolled through the park, he was in his wheelchair, when we came by a baseball field where your children played baseball, 12, 13, 14 years old, and, uh, and there was lots of noise going on, there was passion and fun and people in the bleachers everywhere and, and there was a lot of excitement going on. So Shay looked at me and he said, Papa, do you think they, they let me play? Now, I knew that no, no child would have anybody of, like my son on their team, but I could not at least dare to ask. So we strolled over to the baseball field, 
and a, a young, young kid close to the fence, and I waved them over and I said, sir, uh, I was wondering if, if my son could maybe play, play with you, knowing that the answer would guarantee be no. To my surprise, the kid said, of course, he can be on our team. We're losing by six anyway, right? He didn't have to consult with anybody in, 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 in any other team members. So I helped him out of the wheelchair. They took him to the dugout. They gave him a shirt, and they put him into left field. Now, with a tear in my eye, I recognized the smile of my son because for the first time in his life, he was accepted as an equal. Now, no ball came to him, but he was part of that group. Now, the game's changed. Shea's team caught up. Now, it was the bottom of the ninth. The base was loaded, and by habit of the rotation, it was Shea's turn to bat. Now, I would have expected for him to be skipped, right? Because Shea doesn't know how to bat. He barely knows how to hold one. But to my surprise, naturally, as you would believe, Shea was given the bat. Now, the other team, realizing what, Shea, what the other team is doing to put winning aside, the other team, the pitcher, came very close to Shea and looped the ball. Now, meanwhile, people in the bleachers are standing up and watching what transpired right there in front of our eyes. So, moving up, and, and so Shea missed the ball completely. The pitcher went even closer, and now looped the ball, on, basically hit the bat, and the ball rolled back to his feet. Now, he could have taken the, the ball, tap him out, the game would have been over, and Shea's team would have, been, would have lost, but that's not what, what, what this young man did. One of your sons in the audience took that ball and threw it far away for every player to get and walked up to Shea and said, run to first. Now, Shea didn't know where first was, so the pitcher actually walked with him. Now, the smallest of the, of the, the youngest of the people had the ball, could have easily tapped them out, but even the youngest player realized what transpired right then, right there for that one moment in Shea's life. Took the ball and threw it even further out of reach. Now, both teams from the dugout, from everywhere, came running up to Shea. The people in the bleachers are standing up and applauding and going crazy. And both teams walked with Shea from plate to plate until he was home, completing the home run. So Shea's team won that afternoon game. They carried him back to me on their shoulders. That day, he said, ladies and gentlemen, your children have brought a sense of humanity back to this world that gives me hope that this world that we all think has lost loving itself has still a chance. Your children have understood that the, word, that the word team has nothing to do with just playing together or being together. It has to do with looking out for each other because at the end of the day, we all will fall, but who will stand tall to help us back up? He said, I never forget when we came home and he was so excited, he couldn't even tell. So I told my wife the story, and she hugged her little hero. We lost Che four months ago, shortly after that game. We knew it was coming. But I'm here tonight to thank you that your children gave my son the best day of his life. Now, if I look at us as a community, because that's what leaders built. We're building a community, ladies and gentlemen. And we should never judge right from wrong because we all are sometimes wrong. This is not about who we are pointing fingers out and treating people with a lack of respect. You see, if we think that we are better than a dishwasher, I have some bad news for you because we are not. I was a dishwasher and I never forgot where I came from. We are all equal, man. Everybody wants to live better tomorrow than today. 
And we have the opportunity to set that course for our staff, to build that for them, to give them that hope and sense of purpose back that we need. But it's not done by you carrying a business card. That's done by you being a human being and bringing these emotions back and recognizing that leadership is a science. So within that, I'm gonna show you a closing video and then it's time for me to say goodbye. Success is adventurous. If we want to increase the sum of what is possible for human beings to say, to know, to understand, and therefore at the end to be, we actually have to go to the edge and push out. This is the kind of right to exist. We must not only develop, but celebrate. Success is not measured in what we have. And it's very important of courage to climb even the steepest hills. It was one of my quotes that I wrote a few years ago. And within that, I think we have to learn to cheer a little bit more and turn that, that, that seriousness into a sense of kindness. So take a look at this video. It's pretty funny. Whoa. You're not just going to walk away and give up. Suck it. You can get that. That's yours. Nobody else. Get in there and give it some heat. Give it some heat. So with that, ladies and gentlemen, I got some business cards and uh, I actually brought a couple of books. If you want to come up, get a book. I have only have about eight copies left. I'm happy to hand them out to some of you. But with that, it is such a pleasure to be back with the CMAA. And, uh, and as, as I said, uh, we moved back to Tacoma now, so we are closer to you. I can't wait for my Florida season to start as uh, September already, October, November. So if some of you are interested to talk to me, to come to your club directly uh, and build a specific program for you. Again, this was only two hours. Imagine if you see the longer version. And some of you actually have experienced me. Don, you, you had me in your club. Uh, Brian, you had me in your club. And Peter. And uh, many people have seen the impact these programs have on your staff. So, uh, but for me to you, thank you so much. You know, and, uh, and, and I can't begin to tell you how, how amazing this group is. And thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your, for your sense of attention. And I wish you all a safe trip home. And God bless until our path meets again. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Thank you. Thanks for listening. This has been Education Elevated on the FLCMA Podcast Network. Download other episodes on a myriad of different topics for anyone in your club or organization, regardless of their job title or description. We'll see you next time.